curious minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, Binaural Production Engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, and monthly co-host, Cat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Pete A. Sanders, and he is the author of You Are Psychic. Thank you for coming on, Pete. Thank you for having me, Gary. So... This is one of the, th- the topics that, that really comes up a lot on my show, um, is about the potential of human beings, that, that we all, you know, people, like even when I was a kid, like growing up, you know, psychics, psychic ability was something that was supernatural, you know, but, you know, now it's coming more and more into light that it is not a supernatural thing, and that it is a natural ability that we just are not using. And let me let me just start by saying there's a lot of books about ESP or psychic. What makes mine different is I'm an honors graduate of Massachusetts Institute of Technology with principal studies, biomedical chemistry, brain science. Mm-hmm. And part of what explains the vortexes in Sedona where I live is super strings physics that is changing all of science like Einstein stuff did. Right. So the psychic senses are extra three-dimensional, but not supernatural. Right. We now know from superstrings physics that everyone exists in those dimensions beyond. And what I say to people is I don't believe in ESP, extrasensory perception. I believe in HSP, higher sensory perception. The physical senses are the way we navigate in the three-dimensional realm of this body, and the psychic senses are the senses of the soul. So actually, HSP could be called higher soul perception, but we get no training in those senses. And part of what I've done is the bridge from science to spirituality. That's why One of my focuses is science for living as a soul. And I don't mean that in a religious sense. I've I've always been a person of faith. But since superstrings physics, I can talk to a complete atheist and say, you as a soul, and I mean you and the part of you that extends into those dimensions beyond. And what I found in my work at MIT initially was there are brain areas, this is what's in the UR Psychic book, where if you focus there in a certain way, it seems to turn up the volume on those higher senses, not only for increased sensitivity, but as importantly, for increased protection. 
Most people who want to be more psychic do the yeah. exact wrong thing. They walk around, oh, I want to be more psychic. And I'm sure we'll get to this later. There's actually a part of the brain called the limbic system that generates most of our unhappinesses. And when people open up psychically without filters and control, 70, 80% of their unhappiness may be actually picking up other people's limbic stresses. It's like leaving the windows open without screens in mosquito season. Mm -hmm. And when you know where these psychic reception areas are that are in the book, you stay shielded most of the time. You open the portal scan when you want to. So especially if you're living in large metropolitan areas, you know, cities that have millions of people, you're not being bombarded by other people's stuff. We got enough to deal with our own stuff. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That that is a, a great um, idea. You know, and how how do you how do you research that on a scientific level? Well, um, it's you know it's a little at the boundary of what we can fully do in the standard mm -hmm. lab per se. But as I was going through the brain science classes at MIT, you know that there are certain areas of the brain. Um, that deal with the physical senses, like the temporal lobe here tends to be the processing of auditory input from the ear. So when people tend to be clairaudient, when they tend to hear or sense things more as words or language, if they notice what they're experiencing, their impression comes above the ear level. Whereas if you're, if you're trying to listen to a conversation across the room, you'll notice your attention seems to go right to that ear level. Um, I've been a spiritual seeker. I grew up in Southern California, so I've been a spiritual seeker now for 60 years. And, you know, the parts of the brain that process vision are in the back. Right. But the third eye is always talked about as up here. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until decades later, after I started searching, uh, the PBS show the brain... You know, when they got the ability to scan brains and show different colors for how much certain areas were lighting up, yes. they found that when someone was dreaming, so they're asleep, physical eyes closed, no activity on occipital lobes, because that's what you'd expect, physical eyes closed, but wave, a wave of activity on the frontal cortex. And that was the first time they knew the frontal cortex was at all uh, affected in image generation. The, the PBS show, The Brain, described it as waves of images washing up on the shores of the frontal cortex. So I, I'm certainly not going to claim to have discovered the third eye, but when people focus at that forehead level, they seem to tap that portal to sensing extra-dimensionally rather than just physically at eye level. And what I've done in my book is said, hey, the technology to fully research this may be outside of my lifetime, but what can I do putting exercises in the book? Stories from people's lives, yes, but techniques where people can practice tapping those areas in their life, you know, and, and develop their own research in mm -hmm. a sense. Now, the stuff on the limbic brain about how to trigger mood elevation fibers in, in 
in the body for feeling better fast without alcohol, nicotine, drugs, or overeating. That stuff I was able to do a pilot study with Northern Arizona University. It's based on documented brain science. So, you know, rather than putting electrodes in to stimulate those nerve fibers, I teach people how to do it with mind-body for free. So some stuff we can fully research. Some stuff is beyond what we have now. But this is why I love the title of your podcast, Everything Imaginable. Human pioneering always precedes technology. Yeah. Columbus didn't have satellite navigation. <laughs> you know, Daniel Boone couldn't order a triptych, you know, type of thing. So <laughs> Einstein, and, and, I, and I, this came to me in my meditation this morning as I was, you know, trying to tune in to, to how to best share with your listeners. Einstein was quoted as saying, imagination is more important than knowledge. Right. And th that was his way of saying, don't limit yourself. Mm -hmm. I feel in my life's work, my foundation, Free Soul, is a 501c3 nonprofit that I founded in Sedona in 1980 after doing five years voluntary service as a top-secret cleared naval officer and of Vietnam. But my foundation is based on, it's not either or, do both. Use your imagination to build on knowledge and springboard into that future exploration for developing new knowledge. Until we, even though we don't have the technology for some stuff, people can develop the inner technology, I've trademarked that phrase, of their own reality and wisdom of how to use those senses. Why limit yourself to five? Use nine. Biophysical or psychic for scanning so you make better decisions. Makes sense. Um, like, probably, like, I would mean, maybe one of the first explorations that was taken seriously with these type of abilities, I would assume, was, um, you know, with the government in the remote viewing program. Mm -hmm. um, ha have you looked into any of their projects and had their techniques and um, were were they valid? Well, let me let me just tell you some fun stories and background. Mm -hmm. uh, as an officer, you serve at the pleasure of the president, so they don't have to let you out. And my time to finish was right when the Ayatollah Iran took the hostages. So my saying was, you know, Ayatollah, be willing, I'll be out of the Navy in 1980, and I can right. found my organization <laughs> in Sedona. But there are some stories in the book of how I use the psychic senses for mini remote viewing. I had a group of men, um, you know, people saw the Dirty Dozen movie. I called them the Dirty Dozen times four. Mm -hmm. They ran the decks and, you know, their, their nickname in the Navy was the deck apes. <laughs> and most of them were guys that either only enlisted for three years um, scored so low on the test that they couldn't get like an electronic school or something, mm -hmm. or they, they were given choice. The judge said, son, army, Navy, prison. So they were <laughs> kind of a motley crew. And I got there and I said, you know what? I believe in you. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to inspect your uniform every day. We're going to have instruction. We're going to have a test at the every, end of every week. But if you do well on that, 
and your piece of work, we divided the ship up so everybody had their own responsibility. If your piece of work is done on Thursday, I'm going to give you Friday off. And I expected to be greeted with cheers and applause. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me and went, yeah, right. We've heard officers <laughs> say that shit before. They just find something else for us to do. So I had to prove to them that I'd keep my word. And this was the fleet flagship for the Mediterranean fleet. I mean, it was huge. And I, I had men that worked on the front of the ship, the back of the ship, the boats. So I sat in my stateroom, used the techniques that are in the UR Psychic book to literally run like a remote viewing radar, scanning all my work sites. And it doesn't always have to be visual. If I just felt right. yeah. something's not right there, I'd get up. I'd go there. I'd almost always find them goofing off. I'd kick their butts, put them back to work. They could never figure out how Mr. Sanders always seemed to show up when they started goofing off. <laughs> but I got the whole division finished by Thursday, and I gave everybody Friday off, except for the duty section that, you know, had to be there. Right. And then I gave them Monday off. And we had a captain of the ship at that time, and his name was Storms. He was like five foot nothing. He would stand on a box and yell down at his underling. <laughs> and everybody was afraid of him. And my boss came to me and goes, where, where are your men? I said, I gave, him the, I gave him the day off. He goes, you did what? I said, sir, my predecessor on average scheduled this amount of work in a week. I scheduled 125% of that. They got it done. I gave them the day off. And the, the division turned around. I got promoted early. You know, and they felt they had worth. They had responsibility for their part of the ship. And so that's an example of how I used it practically. In, in See, and, and I don't mean to offend anybody by this, but I always say the most important thing for accurate psychic sensing is your heart. Yes. And, you know, do you psychically sensing or sending energy to have a parking space? Then That's not really, you know, serving humanity. Right. When you can use your sensitivity to help people or how to know what code word just will set someone off. I have a family member, you could say, that was the most ill-conceived, back-ass words, never-going-to-work plan I've ever seen. And they go, oh, well, what's your feedback? But if you said to them, that's stupid, boom, they blew up because they were always told by a parent, you're stupid, you're stupid. So sometimes sensing those minefields can help us from having unnecessary turmoil with our family, with our coworkers. That's kind of how I, I see this should all be applied. Hmm. So where do we begin? Like, how do we start to reawaken or our awareness to this multidimensional information that we have access to? So I'm going to say two things. One, um, there's a foundation technique in the UR Psychic book. It's in Chapter 8 called The Soul Shift. 
And it's a way to tap those dimensions beyond. Now, being a nonprofit that deals with service, and by the way, if any of your listeners ever saw the movie Goodwill Hunting with mm -hmm. Robin Williams, Matt Damon, yeah. the diploma in Robin Williams' office in, in that movie is my graduating year from MIT. <laughs> the 25th reunion scenes in the movie were my graduating year. And I, I'm a nerd. I love science. I love science fiction. But I'm mentioning that movie because I kind of went the Robin Williams route. I'm more about service and people. Yeah. My loneliest summer, I worked one summer at Caltech in a microbiology lab. And that, that's when I found out I like people over test tubes. Mm -hmm. But because of that nonprofit ethic, I've put on our website, freesoul.net, upper right corner, free soul videos that people can click on and for free can be led through that soul shift technique. Get oh, an explanation of super strings physics. Okay. Now, even with that, the other thing when you say where to start that may be more important is my second book. Remember I mentioned mood elevation fibers yes. in the brain? Mm-hmm. Even people who are deeply spiritual or religious, and they go, I don't need the soul shift. I know how to tap dimensions beyond. I've been a meditator forever. When we hit things that trigger our limbic brain, mm -hmm. the brain scientists say that middle layer of the brain creates 90% of our unhappiness, our worries, hurts, angers, and fears. It's kind of like an anchor chain on the balloon of the soul. And so even deeply spiritual people, when something triggers them limbic, they, they can't seem to tap that beyond. So they're not tapping those higher senses. So that's where learning where those mood elevation fibers are, how to trigger them, like strumming a harp, so that you can get out of survival struggle yes. and more easily tap soulness. That's how that all fits together. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, because... I do find, like, if I'm in a survival mode, I'll definitely become less aware. Uh, or yeah. sort of like, like, like I'm just materially focused on survival. And when I'm not in that mode, then it's easier to open up to other sensory perceptions. And it's actually, in some ways, worse now than our evolutionary past. The reason we have that limbic part of the brain is in our evolutionary past, we were more survivable, miserable than happy. Mm -hmm. If you went walking through the meadow, oh, isn't life great? Something would make you lunch. You understand? Yeah. And back then, this was triggered, though, by what you saw, heard, smelled, or remembered. Oh, there was that, back in my childhood, that was that horrible winter. We don't have enough food. We got to keep getting food. And that was before we had cable news channels showing us bombings in Ukraine. Or fires in California, or and before this, yeah, the phone. In our evolutionary past, if someone was a young female who wasn't liked by the other females in the tribe for whatever reason, jealousy, they were thrown out of the tribe and died. Does that give you an idea why a teenage girl can feel suicidal? Because some idiot doesn't like them on, I'm calling it Facegram. Right. She's not weak-minded. It's 
actually a biological reflex to associate that with potential life threat. Wow. And, and you know, I'm, we're doing this, I, I don't know when you're going to air this, but we're, we're airing it, we're taping it very close to the Oscars. Mm -hmm. If Will Smith had known how to trigger those fibers, he would have stayed seated, he would have looked Chris Rock in the eye, and rather than shouting the F word, he would have said, I will see you after the show. <laughs> and saved himself a lot of grief. Right. <laughs> no, because there are things. He was right. His acceptance speech of love makes you do crazy things. When someone you care about, you feel is threatened. And hey, you know, losing your hair is not cancer, but anything medical can feel like a survival issue if you feel helpless to help the one you love. No matter how much money Will Smith makes, he can't make his wife not have alopecia. Right. So when you feel helpless, that's when you're more apt to trigger and say that bad thing to your boss that gets you fired or say that thing at a Thanksgiving dinner that you wish you hadn't said or blurt out something in the heat of an upset in a love relationship mm -hmm. that is true, but you could have said kinder. Right. You know, and so this is where actually I'm very much about exploring your unlimited potentials of which the psychic senses are one, but don't do it without knowing how to shield and where those areas are so you leave them closed when you don't want a sense. Mm -hmm. So you're not just picking other people's limbic stress up that's keeping you more on edge and more likely to be that flashpoint. Now you brought up a lot of stuff there. Um, like, like one of the things that you mentioned too is, you know, the media feeding people fear and what, mm -hmm. putting, which keeps us in that survival mode, which keeps us from recognizing, you know, working on these other abilities, you know, sens sensory perceptions that we have. Is that something that you think is being done on purpose? Oh, sure. Because of advertising. When you're an advertising driven media, you want people to stay watching. And limbic trigger goes, I better watch that. There might be something there that would help me. And, and because we're again at this time, this is being recorded during the time of the atrocities in Ukraine, I learned this decades ago when they were showing on TV some of the Mississippi River flooding and people, you know, losing their homes to floods, yada, yada. I found that as I was seeing that negative news, I would lean away from the TV. Now, with mind-body healing, and there's a whole chapter in You Are Psychic on my mind-body healing discoveries, the key is triggers to remember to do it. So I'm very conscious of noticing a potential trigger for good. So I found that when I was leaning back, that could be my trigger to lean in and send love. Mm-hmm. So in the Ukraine situation, horrible stuff. And people go, I can't watch it. I can't watch I watch. And when I see it, I lean in and I send love to those people. I send bravo for your courage to stand up for freedom. I send energy that may help support them physically or with sleep deprivation. Same time, I'm sending energy to the Russian people. You know, I, I do believe the this is Putin's war. 
it's not the Russian people that are necessarily bad. So I'm sending energy to them to, hey, let the stuff get through. Be aware of what's going on, you know. Um, but what most triggers limbic brain is feeling helpless. When you can do something, you're not helpless. Now, do we know if that energy actually reaches them? I don't know. I believe it does. Right. But as a minimum, you're not helpless feeling depressed so that you snap at a child or at a at a loved one or a coworker. Make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And by the way, the reason it's so crucial that this information about limbic brain and how to trigger these fibers gets out is when people don't know about it, particularly seekers, spiritual people, or religious people, when they don't feel good, when they're worried or angry or can't forgive, this is what they do. What's wrong with me? I thought I was more spiritual than that. Why can't I be a better Christian? themselves up, and, sure. Yeah, and what I say in all my presentations is if you get nothing out of my material, remember this phrase. When you don't feel good, it's not your fault. It's your physiology. Learn to counter the physiology, the negative physiology. And a lot of what we do is we do rise above our old biology. And can I include one other thing real quick, Absolutely. Gary? Go ahead. I was lecturing on this in Denver, and this doctor in the front row, you know, when he heard about this discovery in Chapter 1 for triggering those fibers, he said, what an amazing discovery. Well, such a shame. It's probably not going to go anywhere. It's definitely not going to make you any money. And I said, well, you know, money is really not my prime mover. That's why I founded my organization as a nonprofit. But why are you saying that? And he said, well, duh, Mr. MIT. When you teach people where those fibers are and how to trigger them for themselves, they don't need you anymore. <laughs> the real money is in a product that they have to keep buying. Uh -huh. and, and, you know, it really helps, he went on to say, if that product is addictive. Yes. Now, as an interesting sidelight, nicotine soothes limbic distress. That's mm -hmm. why vaping is absolutely running through teenagers. You give a kid something that's safer than cigarettes, that they can buy, that they can make look like a flash drive and sneak into school. And he's right. I mean... The U.R. Psyche book sells better. It's close to a million copies in seven languages. But here's where he was wrong. This is in five languages. For some reason, one of them is Czech. Mm -hmm. And getting an email from a Czech Special Forces captain telling me he was using Chapter 1 in Afghanistan to help his men with PTSD relief, that's all I need in this lifetime. And that started me teaching this for free for vets. And I've taught it at VA hospitals, vet centers. You know, people can go to our website, and if they're interested about things for vets, they can see it there. Also, that upper right corner of the website, freesold.net, there's one that says foreign language materials where they can find how this is in. I actually just went to six languages, just now available as an ebook in Spanish, uh, so they can find some of the foreign language editions. If, if they have family that could, could use it. 
Mm. I can't read all the languages. Mm-hmm. You, with your last name, you might get a kick out of this. <laughs> I, I lived in Italy with the Navy for several years, but you know, I don't read Italian well. I just know the title of the Italian version is Supre il tuo punto bon amore. <laughs> Learn to touch the love spot. <laughs> Which is at least better than L.A. Right. I had a newspaper article in L.A. once, and the title of the article was Learn to trigger your mental G-spot. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. <laughs> but, but hey, you know, what makes us, if we can have a joyous journey rather than a survival struggle, everything goes better. Work, health, mm-hmm. happiness. So, is so there, you can see I'm passionate about this. Yeah. So is there more than one way to access that part of the brain and stimulate it or are there different ways? Like, I do a lot of interviews, you know, and some people will use like meditation techniques. Others will use visualization. Uh, some will use things like binaural beats and some will right. go as far as using uh, psychedelics. Well, the brain scientists say anything that pulls you to higher cortex gets you out of limbic. Mm -hmm. To walk, you have to use parts of the motor strip for running muscles. That's why hiking soothes people. Hmm. Yoga, I I was a keynote speaker at the Sedona Yoga Festival, which by the way is coming back. It was down for two years. They actually had to close like two days. They had to decide They couldn't hold it right before our governor came out and issued an emergency order that shut everything down. And then the next year they weren't open, but it's back now. Being held all outdoors, so, uh, you know, safe type thing if people can travel more. But I did a program at the yoga festival called Yoga of the Soul. Once you learn the postures and they're automatic, start doing them with your aura with the soul energy. Why? Because when you're injured, you may not be able to do the postures. Or if you're in the middle of a board meeting, you can't do downward dog in mm-hmm. the middle of the board meeting. Music. You've heard this expression. Music has charms to soothe the savage beast. Absolutely. This is the savage beast. That's why every generation has their own version of oldies. Oldies was the music that soothed you when you were in high school and you thought you had problems. (laughs) So it still soothes you now. What works so well about music is every song lasts at least two to three minutes. Right. Nature can soothe limbic. But people, you know, the expression, stop and smell the roses. Right. People will put flowers in their home and they walk by and go, nice flower. Take at least 30 seconds. You don't have to do the two or three minutes of a song, but take the 30 seconds to appreciate the beauty of nature, to smell the flower. So there's a lot of different ways when you're not around flowers. That's why triggering those fibers can make everything work deeper, easier, faster. And my nerd chemistry background would call it a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Catalysts make reactions run faster. Right. So it doesn't really matter then what the catalyst is. 
No. It's just it's the end result, which is turning off that part of the brain and reaching the higher portions of the brain. The most important thing is exploring and practicing. Mm-hmm. So the most important thing isn't even being able to trigger those fibers or counter that part of the brain. It's identifying when it's being triggered and knowing that your full potential, your birthright, is to live happier than feeling heavy or anxious or hurt. And then polishing. Do you know how they make polished stones, Gary? You know, they the tumble them in, yeah. in grit. Yeah, I've done that. We all have grit in our lives or stuff that rhymes with grit. <laughs> we can either be stinking up the joint or we can be making fertilizer. So, you know, what can I do different next time is a way we keep polishing rather than I didn't do it well enough. Or I should have done better, you know. And see, this is how this all weaves together. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, from that first book, so many people are, they want to be more. Yeah. They, they know that inside they're more than this. And I don't know if I said this before. I, I think I did. What most triggers limbic brain is feeling helpless. So again, ethics is the most important thing. Many people are wanting to be more psychic, just not to be helpless. If mm-hmm. I can see things coming, if I can have better sense and, Yes, that's valuable, but first work on not feeling helpless. So we have to get out of being a victim. Yeah, do both. And and take back some of that power that we have. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, I'm going to reference, believe it or not, a book that's not mine. There's a great book, long, long time book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. mm -hmm. And he was an Austrian neurosurgeon and psychiatrist who survived seven Nazi death camps, including Auschwitz. And he he developed logotherapy, which to me puts Freud to shame. Logotherapy says if you can find purpose, you can survive anything. And he was literally walking barefoot in winter, digging ditches, starving, saying to himself, When I get out of here, I'm going to lecture on the psychology of imprisonment at the University of Vienna. And, and, you know, he has many things. That's the first half of the book, all the experience in the camps. Mm -hmm. Second half talks more about logotherapy. And one aspect of it, he describes having a German colleague, psychiatrist, who was very proud, never asked for help. But then his wife of 60 years passed passed away, and he had such horrible grief, he overcame his pride and came to Frankel and said, help me. How can logotherapy help me? And Frankel said, couldn't give him his wife back, but he thought about that. If you can find purpose, you can survive anything. And he thought to ask this German colleague, how would it have been for your wife if you had passed away first. And he said, oh, that would have been horrible for Elsa. I would have never wanted that for my dear Elsa. So he said, so by surviving her, you spared her that pain. Didn't bring her back. Didn't take away his sadness missing her, but it gave a purpose 
to the pain. And so his definition of that version of logotherapy is great, but I'm going to tell you how I build on that. Okay. Is nobly bearing unavoidable suffering, which is great. When you add in how to counter limbic brain, it can go to joyously exploring challenging situations. I founded my organization on this phrase, make life a quest, not a test. Nobody says a quest is easy, but the minute you think quest, what words come to mind? Exploration, adventure, freedom. And, And I want to reference one other great book out there. There's a professional writer named Bruce Feeler. That's his profession. He writes books. He had a just a ton, excuse my French, shitload of stuff happened to him in the last five years. Lost a job, family members died, yada, yada, pandemic hit. And he wrote the book Transitions. And he has like a matrix, personal controllable, personal uncontrollable, societal controllable, societal uncontrollable. So... Personal controllable is you choose to leave your job and all that. Yeah. Personal uncontrollable is your spouse dies, mm-hmm. child dies. Societal uncontrollable is pandemics. So it's great tips for all four. But one of his phrases in the book I love and I've built on. And the phrase is, life is the story you tell yourself. And what I've added is don't tell a limbic brain story. If life is the story you tell yourself, why not tell a love story? Right. I mean, he points out in the book that every book you've ever read, the hero's journey, there's always challenge. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean life isn't hard. But if we can make it an adventure. That's how I look at it. Yeah. You know, like like, it's kind of funny that you bring this up because I was recently made a new friend and I was telling her, you know, about my life. She's like, Oh, it sounds so painful. And I'm like, not really, you know, I mean, all these experiences made me who I am. It's been an, an adventure. I've experienced a lot of things that other people haven't. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I look at it as, as, as long as it doesn't make me close my heart, but makes me open my heart, mm-hmm. better it is. You ever seen a construction site, Gary? Yeah. It's a mess. The bigger the building's going to be, the bigger the mess. Yeah. If we can take that mess, we can assemble it into a skyscraper. If we can learn to sweep away the limbic rust. What's the limbic rust? The regret, the hurts. If we can take the experiences and see the learning potential in them, then we can literally develop inner wisdom. So I'm like you. I cherish the challenges. If I can figure out how to see it as a quest, not a test, then I don't develop as much rust that I have to, you know, sort out later. Mm -hmm. And by the way, 
you know, I reference superstrings physics saying we exist in all these dimensions. The PBS show Nova has done multiple segments on it. And, and I think you can even download or buy their DVDs. The two best are called The Elegant Universe and Fabric of the Cosmos. And the, uh-huh. the short version is the top physicists now say everything exists in a minimum of 10 or more dimensions. Yes. The three of space we're used to, mm-hmm. front, back, right, left, up, down, one at a time, and these dimensions beyond. If people watch those, here's something that may confuse them, and did me for a while. They say that some of those dimensions beyond are tightly curled up things. And at first I couldn't figure that out, because anytime I felt like I was tapping dimensions beyond with the soul shift technique, right. it's this feeling of soaring, the boundaries coming yes. off. That's what upflow vortexes help people tap. You know, my... My book on Sedona's Vortexes describes Sedona's meditation sites, but lately, when I give my weekly presentations here in Sedona, I tell people the most important part of this presentation is not just Sedona or how to find vortexes wherever you travel. It's how to be a vortex, how to create the vortex effect for insight no matter what site you're in. And... Here's what I figured out. You know how a tree has rings? Yeah. Or a pearl will have layers? Mm-hmm. Maybe those tightly curled up dimensions are like the layer of the soul pearl where memory and in particular hurts are stored. And, you know, I always believe you should have two analogies. So, Floridians may not get this analogy, but I know New Jerseyans and most of the country can. You know how a snowball, if you roll it downhill, gets bigger and bigger? Mm-hmm. If your snowball in this life just happened to roll through way too much yellow snow and dog poop, <laughs> you got a gunked up snowball. I used to say sooted up so snowball. You know why I don't say that anymore? Why? Because my MIT nerd chemist side realized that soot and diamond are the exact same substance. Uh, They're both pure carbon. Mm -hmm. Diamond is just purposely, logotherapy, pressured soot. Part of what you've done is you've made jewels of wisdom out of your hurts. And the reason that's important You ready to hear the thing that makes super strings physics look like the tip of the iceberg? Yes. They have discovered an energy, the physicists, that they say makes up 15 times more than what the average person thinks of as the whole universe put together. Most people think of the universe as all the stars, all the planets, all the heat, all the light. All that together, the physicists say, makes up less than 5% of the energy that's out there. Wow. You know how the universe is expanding? Yes. The energy driving that expansion that they've proven is there, but they don't know exactly what it is. It just seems to be flowing from between the cracks of space. Mm -hmm. That energy, the physicists say, 
makes up 75% of what's out there. It is a huge untapped force for mind expansion, vitality enhancement, healing energies, possibly even longevity. And I'm going to explain why I'm saying that outrageous comment in a moment. If your soul pearl is gunked up, you're getting soda straw, that energy flowing through you, when you could be getting fire hose. You understand? Mm -hmm. And as much as I like chapter one of this for how to trigger those fibers, chapter two might be more important because I'm an old Navy guy. Worst thing on a ship is fire because it heats up the metal of the ship. And most ship fires are oil and gas. So you put them out with foam. But if the foam blanket breaks down and the metal's still hot, it reflashes the fire. And that's why it's not just about triggering the fibers and feeling good. You deserve not just temporary relief, sustainable wellness by clearing the old gunk. Mm -hmm. Okay? When you can clear that, that energy can flow with you. You learn to trigger the fibers. You can go with the flow no matter what you're dealing with. You learn to clear the gunk. You can glow with the flow. I think that's actually where the expression enlightenment came from. Now, one guy said to me at one of my Vortex talks here in Sedona last month, yeah, 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 they covered that expansive energy on Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos show. Uh It seems to be flowing from between the cracks of space. That's why the galaxies are moving apart. There's so much space between galaxies. What the hell has that got to do with me? Hello? What is most of every atom in your body made of? It's not matter. It's space. Exactly. If your soul pearl is gunked up, you're getting soda straw instead of fire hose. (coughs) And, you know, any healing spiritual technique people know will be as a minimum doubled if they learn how to clear inner soul pearl and radiate energy inside out, not just outside in. Now, that's why I told McMillan, who did the hardcover of this, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it unless they let me put Chapter 8 on soul and Chapter 7 on healing. Uh So we actually teach inside-out healing techniques in Chapter 7. When I... When I hit 60 and I made the discoveries for how to clear inner soul pearl gunk, that's when I did the two DVD. um, Sorry about that. That's when I did the two DVD set, uh, Science for Living as a Soul, for specifically the infinite soul connection technique, how to clear gunk. No idea why this is happening. Sorry. Um, But again, as an exploration, as an adventure, not just a suffering, we deserve to have a joyous journey, not just a survival struggle. I I completely agree. I I don't, we're definitely here for way more than just a survival struggle. That is absolutely true. 
one of the things that you mentioned about this energy that's flowing through the universe, you know, do you think that that energy is just consciousness? You know, I founded Free Soul to be public ed, not a religion. Mm -hmm. So I'm always very conscious to be, you know, careful to say things that won't offend anyone's specific religion. But almost all faiths just have different terms for it. Yeah. Science says Big Bang, expansion of the universe energy, consciousness. Religion will say spark of the divine, infinite love energy, God's love, Holy Spirit. Consciousness actually is defined as how you recognize you as you mm -hmm. and how you initiate thought. One of the things in the soul chapter of the U.R. Psyche book I had a one-on-one -on -one tutorial my senior year with one of the top brain science professors. And I said, Professor, I, I took your course, you know, last year, and you explained how when we trigger, when a, a cell is triggered in the motor strip area of the brain, my leg can move. Or when I move my leg, we see that cell fire. And he said, and everyone in the class went, oh, oh, now I understand. I don't understand. What makes that cell fire when I choose to move my leg? And he said, well, you know, some other cell in the blah, blah, blah region. And we spent about 20 minutes tracing cell pathways through the brain. And I finally said, you know, could we bottom line this? I'd like to graduate this year. Where the hell does it start? <laughs> And he got really kind of embarrassed, looked down, said, well, I guess it would have to start with some cell in the retina of the eye or the cochlea of the ear. I said, wait a minute. Are you telling me that you think we're just reactions to sensory input? Don't you feel like you initiate decision? That's what consciousness is supposed to be. Well, when I'm stuck on the Mass Pike or the Long Island Expressway, I don't feel like I'm in it. No, come on, come on. <laughs> don't you think, feel that you initiate decision and thought? Y yes, I do. Could you please explain that to me? That's why I spent these mega thousands of dollars coming here. And he looked right at me and said, we don't have a clue. Hmm. And that is still called the big mystery in brain science, is how the wiring creates consciousness. See, actually, I think it's possible that some of those extra layers of consciousness are in those dimensions beyond. Mm -hmm. Now, you were asking about that energy. I actually think that energy might more accurately be described as love. Mm -hmm. Consciousness of how to be loving no matter what's going on. Easy to be loving when things are going well. And again, not to favor one religion over the other. I'm, I'm a student of all religions. But things not going well, being nailed to a cross and still saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. Absolutely. Can a devout Buddhist fully do the Eightfold Path if they're still triggered by limbic anger 
or limbic worry? Not all the time. No. So, I mean, I see these as secrets from science that can help all faiths. And, you know, I grew up 3 through 10 in West Side City, part of New York City. Mm-hmm. And I love the, the both versions of West Side Story. <laughs> but definitely go see the later one because the singing is great. But a lot of those neighborhoods I knew. <laughs> and I, I moved to Southern California when I was 10. And we drove back for the for the New York World's Fair. And I think this is one of the stories in the book, but there were a group of scientists that did this exhibit for decades. I think the last one was at the Spokane World's Fair, uh, Spokane, Washington, called Sermons from Science. And it was all the amazing things in nature that you talked about. And the capstone was called the Million Volt Demonstration. They turned off the lights, stood a guy on a Tesla coil, and put a million volts of electricity through him, and he's holding a paddle, and it burns this flaming streak down the paddle. It's impressive. (laughs) And then they turn the lights off, and he steps off, and he said, now, why didn't that kill me? It's because it was at a different frequency than my body. Regular house current is low frequency, and it sinks into the tissue and stops the heart in addition to burning. Mm -hmm. High frequency current skips over the surface of the skin because of the sweat and ions in our skin. And you could tell the guy wasn't enjoying it. It was, okay, okay, all right, turn it off. (laughs) But wood has a higher resistance than skin. So when the electricity hits the wood, that's what burns the flaming streak in the paddle. Mm-hmm. And so what he went on to say was, maybe heaven, God, angels, are just like that. They're right here, but at a different frequency. And see, this was decades before superstring physics was discovered. Wow. So it's actually accurate if you just substitute mm-hmm. right here, but just in some of those dimensions beyond. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, when we were talking earlier about um, the third eye, is the third eye in, is it related anyway scientifically to the pineal gland? No. no. That's one of the big misconceptions. If you look on a brain picture, the pineal is down here, it's lower. Mm-hmm. And the third eye physically would be associated with that frontal cortex. It's up higher. But here's a different perspective. The third eye actually moves depending on how soul-shifted you are. When we're in normal physical mode, we are a soul, we have a body. The soul vision field and the physical vision field, if you're kind of tapping both, meets here. When you soul shift, soul travel, you don't take your physical body with you. You're more scanning from those extra dimensions. So if somebody's really used to sensing themselves and they're a clairvoyant person, they'll notice the more they soul shift, quote unquote, the third eye where they're getting impressions tends to move up. So, so what is the pineal gland for? 
it primarily deals with helping us sleep. Because life in a body is tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, the soul literally goes, I can't take it anymore. I got to get out of here and recharge in the universe for a while. That's why babies sleep so much. Hmm. It's tough getting used to a body. Or when people are incredibly sleep deprived, they kind of go loopy because we need that time away. And by the way, you know, I, I believe, I, I, I really believe in the beautiful country we have here, the freedoms we have. I believe rights have responsibilities. Right. That's why I chose to do five years service uh, in the military or, you know, be a firefighter for a while or be an aide and a teacher or help a kid with big brothers, big sisters. But the, the key thing is when you're exploring these senses that you do it in a way that makes the world better. And, and I want to come back to something you were describing about how life can be heavy. An interesting other limbic brain link is in our evolutionary past, if you were injured, you were better off hiding in the cave, healing, than out trying to fight the next saber-toothed tiger. You understand? Mm -hmm. That's why when people have an injury, it creates a mini depression. And 40 and 50 year olds experience that when they shovel snow for the first time in a season or rake leaves. The next day they're sore. The second day they're sore and depressed. So what do you do? You think up. You open a funnel to the universe. Remember, the brain scientists say mm -hmm. anything that causes you to think up gets you out of limbic. But in opening a funnel to the universe, just flow energy to the pain. Remember I said with healing, key thing is a trigger? Yeah. I mean, I had a freak accident. Remember the old song, I left my heart in San Francisco? Yeah. I left my knee cartilage in Playa del Rey, Southern California, at age 16. <laughs> Freak accident at the beach. They said, oh, you probably need a knee joint replacement. Fifth, oh, you might make it 20 years. Well, teaching mind-body healing and running a nonprofit, I'm kind of cheap. <laughs> Frugal, <laughs> I'm supposed to say. I made it 50 years to Medicare and got it done for free. Yay! <laughs> But during the rehab, I actually wore a T-shirt that said, make life a quest, not a test. Mm -hmm. And this grumpy old guy going through rehab with me goes, how the hell do you make this a quest? It freaking hurts. <laughs> I said, I'm doing research. You're doing what? I'm doing research on advanced mind-body healing techniques. I got to be here. Most of our pain is cut nerve endings that are still leaking and firing. Uh -huh. well, the first five sets I'm doing, bending the knee, I'm picturing wrapping off the leaky nerve endings with electrical tape. Next five sets, I'm picturing putting super glue to seal them. Some of your pain is blood clots rubbing on nerve endings. And we actually have an enzyme in the body that dissolves blood clots. So 
Third five sets, I'm picturing that enzyme as the Pac-Man munchens. Mm -hmm. Remember what most triggers limbic is feeling helpless? Yeah. The very first mind-body thing totally accepted in Western medicine was for kids with cancer. They took the Pac-Man game, relabeled it killer T-cell, and the kids could feel in control driving the T-cells to get the cancer cells. What also soothes limbic, because you asked about that, things, other things, mm -hmm. is hope and not feeling alone. I'm an old USC and New York City guy, so I, you know, I root for the Giants and I work. <laughs> I, I'm kind of like in the Phoenix Cardinals being in Arizona and over the LA Rams, but you know. <laughs> but I absolutely love the University of Iowa football team. Not so much the team, but the fact that the stadium, every home game at the end of the first quarter, the entire stadium stands up and waves at the children's hospital that's right next to the stadium. Yeah. And they bring the kids to the windows, mm -hmm. and they don't feel alone. You understand? Yeah. And you can tell I'm a little bit of an imp. So you, you want to hear what I did with the knee replacement? Yep. Remember, music has charms to soothe the savage beast? Mm-hmm. They've proven medically that when you feel bad, it lowers your killer T-cell level. Number one immune system fighter in the body. Why do people get infections when they go to hospitals? There's bugs. But mostly they're depressed about going to the hospital and they lower their immune system. Yeah. Worst thing for a joint replacement, whether it's knee, hip, shoulder, is infection. I don't want to mess with infection. And the day after they rip your whole knee apart, they make you get up and they want you to walk 600 steps to a window in Flagstaff where you see Mount Humphreys. Uh -huh. They call it the Humphreys Walk. So I conspired to get my fellow inmates to sing with me as we tromped down the hall with our walkers. Mm -hmm. And I adapted two songs. The main one was I adapted Battle Hymn of the Republic. Uh -huh. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the healing Humphreys walk. <laughs> I am walking with the spirit of the mind and body thought. I am lessening my pain, so I'll sleep better tonight. My knee is being restored. <laughs> and for the grumpy old guys, I still made them sing. I just gave them their own song. For them, we did Sam Cooke's Chain Gang. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. That's the sound of the man suffering to the hum. Freeze healing walk. All day long they're singing, bring me my Percocet. <laughs> Remember what most triggers limbic is feeling helpless? Yeah. If, God forbid, you have to go to the hospital for any reason, make it an adventure. Have fun. So with, if, if the limbic part is responsible for making people helpless and then something else makes them feel less helpless, is that, Fe is, is that, why, is that why the placebo effect works so well? Oh, yeah. Feeling helpless triggers limbic depression and tightness. So anything that gives you hope, the placebo effect. I mean, 
pretty much every new drug that's developed has to be 25% more effective than a sugar pill. Because we've recognized that the mind can do 25% of the work just on hope. Right. You, you understand? Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel. His book was Your Four Faiths, Your Faith in Your self, your faith in a higher power, your faith in a physician, your faith in your... I, I say use it all. Now, I manage stuff. I mean, here in Arizona, you can't get a joint replacement without seeing a cardiologist, even though I've been an athlete all my life. You know, national level swimmer, yada yada, hiker, Grand Canyon hikes. Nice young guy, but he had this obnoxious app on his phone. He goes, this is great. We're going to put in your age. I was 66 at the time. And you have a family history of low, good cholesterol, even though you've always been an athlete. That's going to help. And then we're going to take your blood pressure in the office today. And this app spits out your percentage of heart attack chance and which pills I'm going to put you on. So when he was running behind, I didn't get mad. I assumed he was taking time with patients. A good thing. But you better bet, while I'm sitting in the waiting room, I'm doing the soul shift, I'm triggering those anti-limbic fibers, I'm doing the blood pressure lowering techniques in the even more powerful part of the healing chapter of You Are Psychic. I set my blood pressure at 120 over 70 and didn't have to listen to the Lipitor lecture. <laughs> Make sense? Yeah, yeah. I got to do that with my cholesterol. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, I loved it when they came out with the pictures of the insides of arteries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just give your folks an idea of some of the mind-body visualizations you can do. Um, my chemistry nerd background, I would picture rinsing the arteries, particularly the coronary arteries, with acetone. It's what's in nail polish remover. Mm -hmm. In chemistry, you use acetone to dissolve stuff. Uh, some cooks like picturing a vinegar rinse. And then good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. I thought it was all bad. Well, good cholesterol are actually molecules that carry away bits of plaque in the pipes. Right. So here's where I really go kind of abstract. I picture my good cholesterol molecules as the seven dwarfs. I who. <laughs> taking that away. And again, I'm generally doing okay. I'm 70. I got stuff. But, you know, the Chapter 5 of the Access Your Brain's Joy Center of how to trigger those fibers for weight management. And I'm way more sedentary now than I was in my 30s. But I've been the same weight for the last 30 years. Part of what I try and get across to seniors is when we're over 60, over 70, you got a lot of mini broken stuff. Mm -hmm. So that reflex of an injury triggering a depression, that's why I think they call seniors the gray panthers. It's not this. It's the heaviness they walk around with. And I got stuff, but you don't have to let it fully touch your sense of joy, your well-being. And it's a challenge. I mean, the limbic brain is designed from our evolutionary past to keep us alive by being miserable, by worrying. 
remembering a hurt that was done to us. So it's an extremely strong uh, biological reflex. But my message to people is you don't have to live in your evolutionary past. If we're all pioneers of a better future, this is something you can do. We can't all be astronauts. We can't all be Jacques Cousteau's. But everybody can learn to counter those limbic negative reflexes so we treat other people better. And let, let me drive this point home, Gary. The most amazing, one of my most amazing memories at MIT in the brain science classes, it was in this class I thought was going to be a nothing. Because before I decided to go this way with my life, I thought I was going to go to med school, and I did get accepted to Harvard Med and turned it down to do what I'm doing now. Uh, and this was this class on the five physical senses and how they worked. And I, you know, I knew, I was pre-med, I knew how the retina worked, cochlea worked, and I was going to be boring. At least I should get an easy A, you know, yada, yada. This professor developed a tablet when we got to the, the taste part of the class that completely knocked out your sour taste buds for one hour. And we were his guinea pigs. And first he started us eating unsweetened yogurt and then eating grapefruits. And I've never been a grapefruit guy, but I'm going, this is kind of interesting. And we finally were eating lemons and tasting the sweet in the lemon that you never taste because the sour so dominates. When you learn to counter limbic brain, you still got stuff, but it doesn't dominate. So you can see the sweets in the world around us, the blessings we have. When that lady said, oh, sounds like you've had a painful past. You've learned your own ways for getting out of limbic because you see those pains as jewels of learning. And, you know, people aren't bad when they can't do it. They've just been never given skills. Mm -hmm. If someone's never been shown how to take a bath or use deodorant, the fact they're smelly isn't that they're a bad person. They just don't know skills. Yeah. yeah. And since hope does soothe limbic, whether people get any of my books at all or they ever go to freesoul.net, the message of hope I want to give them, or I agreed to do this with you today, and thank you for being an avenue for reaching people with more mm -hmm. substance than a 30-second bit on the national news, <laughs> is that there is hope. You don't have to live in suffering. Now, we're all going to have stuff, but you can learn to knock down the sour taste buds in life so they're manageable and so you can live your faith you can live your joy of your religion or your family or you know and it's i've had two kids nothing scarier you can be brave for yourself but worrying what could happen to your kid man you combine that with financial pressures mm -hmm. <clears throat> very proud of my wife, by the way. She's not the oldest. She's the longest continuous serving public school teacher in Sedona. <laughs> and I only don't get in trouble when I tell people that if I say I married her when she was nine 
but we met in college and I'm 70, so you do the math. <laughs> but, you know, teacher salaries. I've got a lot of great building material for my skyscraper, mm -hmm. and I'm happy for it. I'm, I'm happy that life has brought me ways to make jewels of wisdom. Me too. Me too. And, you, you know, that's one reason why I do this, because I hope that my listeners hear stuff that will encourage them to look at the world different, challenge existing ideas. And, um, and the name of your show is Everything Imaginable. And so as great as my materials are, it's the tip of the iceberg compared to what learning those techniques can trigger in their imagination. Yes. Remember, not imagination better than knowledge. Use their imagination with the knowledge they get from my stuff, from listening to your show, and be a beacon of light for a better tomorrow for America and for the planet by being lifelong learners and explorers. That is what it's all about. You know, what better thing is there to do with life than to become an explorer and experiment? Use yourself as a test subject and yeah. and try to come up with things that are going to make the future generation lives better. Now, here's the extra trick. People I lecture to in Sedona, they're, they're usually pretty happy because they're on vacation. <laughs> what makes vacation better than home and work? You're doing something new. Yeah. You're seeing something new. The challenge, the graduate school class, rather than kindergarten, is how do you make home an adventure? And, you know, I learned that in the Navy. I, I lived the original Navy commercial. It's not just a job. It's an adventure. Other than going to prison, nothing is more constricting than the military because they literally own you. Yeah. Well, you get an order, you understand? Mm -hmm. And the old saying, four walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. It's real easy to make our life a prison out of a feeling of responsibility. The secret, you know, responsibility is test mode. Secret is go response-able, choice. That's quest mode. How do I make that thing I have to do every day with my family, with my work, an adventure. Find a way to do it new. Give a compliment to someone you see. Look for a beauty in that family member. You know, and it, that's, that's where we can be making a huge change in the universe one second at a time. And... You know, tune in to programs like yours where you hear new things that trigger your imagination or help you get out of feelings of limitation. Fantastic. I just did an interview with somebody who lives in Morocco. And one of the things that she does as part of her practice is she takes a picture out of her window at the same thing every day. She takes the exact same picture. And she says, every day, that picture is different, even though it's of the same thing. You want to hear a fascinating thing one of my students in Manhattan did? 
Yeah. Manhattan can be some of the toughest because you can have an apartment <laughs> where the window opens and you look at the brick wall of the building next to you. So she went to a travel agent and said, hey, can I have the posters you're throwing away? And every week she puts a different poster in the window. <laughs> if she feels, you know, she needs island energy, she puts a Hawaii poster. Uh -huh. If she needs mountains, she puts a, you know, a Vail Colorado skiing poster. Or a... Look for creative ways to be in the joy, even when we have some limitations. And... Know that you're loved. So are you okay if as one of our final things, I give all your your listeners and viewers a, a, a very powerful technique they can do? Yes. Okay. So they hold up one hand. Do it with me. In that hand is everything you've ever done, good or bad. Hold up the other hand. In that hand is everything you still hope to do. Cross the midline. And come down and give yourself a hug. Because <laughs> you are a one-of-a-kind, beautiful soul. Thank you. Not just each snowflake is unique or your fingerprint's unique. You are a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, loving soul. And you need to remember to cherish yourself. Because so often people like you and people out there, they give so much. They forget to open the skylight and recharge. And so that can help you remember to do that. <laughs> Thanks, man. I needed that actually today. <laughs> awesome. So bless you for having me on. Thank you. And uh, before we wrap it up, um, where's again the best place for my listeners to find you and find your book? Um, the You Are Psychic, they can get in any bookstore. It is also available as an ebook or an audible book. Mm -hmm. Because they laid, they made me leave out content. I was shocked they could dictate content to an author. I, we got big enough as a foundation. I self published all my other later materials. So for the Access Your Brain's Joy Center book, the Vortex book about Sedona or the Science for Living as a Soul two DVD set, plus a bunch of other stuff I've developed in 50 years as a professional teacher in this field. If they just remember freesoul.net, because we're a network of facilitators. So just like the two words, no space, freesoul.net. <laughs> I just bought the uh, Access the, um, Soul, the Brain Center book while we are just talking. And what I'm going to do is I'll put those links in the notes of this episode too so my listeners go to your website and buy your books. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure you having you. You've got to do it again sometime. We will, anytime. And until then, bravo on your adventure and for making a portal to have other explorers share so people can get a wider diversity of stuff. Thanks, and you as well. I appreciate it. Till next time. Coffee mugs 
and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guarantee. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says. <laughs>